But first I want to read a couple of uh, verses from the Old Testament and make reference to them as well, other ones later. But I want you to I want you to take this away or implant it in your head, write it as the title. Try and remember. God, God wants to be known. God wants to be known by you. God wants to be known. Psalm 19, way back in the Old Testament, the psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So many people go up Dover's Hill and echo that. Sunset, sunrises, looking at the stars. Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm full of truth starts, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's a psalm that we read for comfort, isn't it? He knows us. But I, I was just reflecting on that phrase, where can I go from your spirit? Even if we seek to run away from God, it will be futile to the highest mountain, the depths of the sea in a submersible, as far as the east and from the west. He is there. We can't escape him, nor the fact that he longs for us to know him. Yes, he brings comfort, but we can't flee from his presence and say, I don't know you, God. Because right from the moment of conception as we're formed, right through the days ordained in our life, he is knowable and longs that we should know him. So, into Romans, please. Romans seven, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Whilst you're turning there. God, God is amazing, isn't he? Mostly convinced. One of the things the Bible sets out really clearly, and we could have debates about the mechanics of how this happens, but the underlying truth of the Bible is God creates. He's designed every diatom, that's one of the smallest creatures in the sea. And we can be sure that he has made us carefully and wonderfully. That's one of the emphasis in Psalm 139. Just some little facts for you, just to astound you and encourage you about the goodness and the amazingness of what God has done. 
Did you know your heart's beating away right now? I can be sure of that. No one's collapsed. Your heart pumps enough blood during your lifetime to fill a string, a long train of uh, kind of, you know, the, the trucks or the, you know, the, those that carry fluid, the big kind of trucks on the road, gasoline or the, the uh, tankers on the, on, the, on the trains, to stretch pretty much from the entirety of the length of this country. It pumps enough blood in your lifetime to fill that length of track, right from Land's End to John O'Groats. And it pumps blood through your lifetime 186 million miles. That's pretty astounding, isn't it? That's a long way. An even more astonishing example of God's good craftsmanship is the human brain, perhaps the most baffling and amazing created thing on earth. It is hugely complex. I could make a sexist joke here, but I won't. Uh, it is staggering in its complexity and its processing capability. It has 100 billion neurons and seven, several hundred trillion connections, synapses, which process and exchange large amounts of information over the network of the brain to analyze complex images in one-tenth of a second, allowing us to process that which we see constantly. Likewise, its storage capacity is almost infinite. Those who know about this say, during our lifetime, our brain will have amassed, talk to Harvey if you want to understand what these figures mean, 109 to 1,020 bits of information. Now, you think a bit is just a piece. It's actually a lot. And to put it in context, this amount, 109 to 1,020 bits of information, is five times more than the amount of total printed material in the world. So if you think about every library and every book that's been published and every bit of information on the internet, all that stuff, our brain can cope with five times more than that. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You're trying to get your head around that and you're thinking, not my brain. <laughs> yeah, your brain. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. 
God longs to be known. Someone said, God, by his nature, is continuously articulate. Let me put it in modern parlance for the youth at the back. He just won't shut up. He is continually, continuously speaking. Romans 1.19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Psalm 19, day after day, the heavens pour forth speech, not unintelligible words, but declaring the glory of God. Where can I flee from your spirit? In other words, God's spirit so uh, surrounds us that he longs that we should know him, God. Paul, previously Saul, was called by God as an apostle, one who was sent to the Gentiles to make the gospel known to all peoples. That God's righteousness in Jesus Christ being made known to the Jew who had the history of dwelling in the presence of God, of understanding his purposes and the giving of the law, to those who hadn't really supposedly a clue about the law, but, says Paul, Reiterated again and again in scriptures, they have an understanding that God is there. The knowledge of God, Paul says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. In this opening part of the, the, the epistle, the letter to the church in Rome, Paul is setting out and increasing in these chapters of 1, 2, and 3, the reality that we were made by God, that all of us should know Him, should turn to seek Him, should desire Him, but we don't. Whether Jew who had been given the law in the first place and the privilege of being rescued in the Exodus from the Passover, and of being called his people and set apart to live his ways, called to be people of grace and truth. But they didn't. But also Paul setting out that even the Jews and the Gentiles have no defense before God to say, well, how do we know who you are? That all of us have been given some awareness that God is real, God is to be known, and he's calling you to him. This God, Paul says, is willing to be known. Now, if you look in, in, um, in verse 18, it talks about how uh, the wrath of God is being revealed, and he says in, uh, in verse 17, a righteousness from God is being revealed. Though in God making himself known, he acts in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the giving of the law, in a specific, tangible, powerful, transforming, sudden, dramatic way. In the coming of Jesus, the coming of God. But in verse uh, 19, he says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, 
Not that it's being revealed in that sudden dramatic, but this sense of making known, making plain to them is actually a sense of this ongoing. It's not sudden, but it's this ongoing, this constant, this all plain to see for everybody. That no one is without excuse to say, I don't know God. What God are you talking about? That every one of us has a sense, plain sense, that there is more to life than just this. There is more. God is there. It may not be full. It certainly won't be complete. But is real. And Paul is describing this at this point in the letter. To lay out the foundation, to move to the point that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody can stand before God and say, well, I, I've just followed my own ways in being good in myself and my own code and being sincere in what I do. Who are you to, set, to judge me, God? Well, God says, well, I'm the one who is eternal and your creator. Of course, I have the right to judge you. Because all of us, every human being... It has been made plain to them that God is real, present, and there. Now, of course, the full focus and the full revelation comes in Jesus Christ, and that's why Paul is sent. But no one in this planet can say, well, I didn't know. You only have to look up or look down and see the fingerprints, the presence of God. You see, God makes it plain to us. He makes it plain to us that he is there. He wants us to know him. God wants to be known. And as people reject him, as we'll go on to see next week, what Paul is saying is that it's even more shocking because each person has this understanding, this ability to know that it's made plain if you have eyes to see. All the more shocking that people turn around and say no. That the natural world discloses something of the nature of God. Let me demonstrate. Well, the word science, I was a scientist, I suppose still am, but studied it for a while. School and a degree. The word science comes from the Latin scientia, meaning knowledge. We seek to know through measuring and observing, testing. We seek to know, know what? Well, in our kind of modern times, well, we need, we need to know facts and truths and how... Uh, particles of forces and things work. Many of the great scientists were seeking after that, but knew there was more. Newton, Galileo, other scientists treated their science rigorously, but also as a religious quest. They thought that by exposing the patterns that are woven into the processes of nature, they were truly gaining a glimpse into the mind of God. Most of our scientists now are not religious, yet they still would accept that there's an intelligible, intelligible script which seems to underlie the workings of nature. That there's order there. 
that it's discoverable, that it's repeatable, that it's not just chaotic and meaningless. They want to discover something meaningful. Johannes Kepler, who discovered that the planets orbit uh, in a kind of ellipse, he said, O God, I am thinking thy thoughts after thee. Isaac Newton said, I do not know what I may appear to the world, but to myself I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself, now and then finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay undiscovered before me. That's the apple man, in case you didn't know, you know, gravity. Poet, too. Thomas Edison, light bulbs and all that, he said, I do not know one millionth part of 1% about anything. Edward Jenner, discovery of the benefits of vaccination, said, I do not wonder that people are grateful to me, but I am surprised they do not feel gratitude for God for thus making me a medium of good. Knowledge is not hidden. Knowledge is not hidden and just needs to be found by the very curious or the very clever or the very kind of wise philosopher. Paul says that the knowledge of God is plain to see it has been revealed to all people. Cranfield said, God is objectively manifest. His whole creation declares him. Some are foolish and say no. But even the hints, the pointers, the signs for the wise, for the seeking, for the discerning, for the observant will say yes. This general revelation is its technical name. Points us to the fact that there is a God, a creator who is good. Again and again through scripture, we saw in the Psalms, what's the, what's the first thing that God does in the very beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1? Interaction now. What's the first thing he does? You can turn there if you're curious. He said, God spoke. There's something about the very nature of God that in speaking, it's not just he thought, it's not just that he felt, it's not just that he kind of like imagined to himself. But he spoke, he uttered, he revealed, he declared, he announced what his intentions were. And his words have power. And they formed and transformed and made. But God reveals himself. God spoke. Let there be. And when all things had turned pear-shaped because they'd eaten a bit of fruit... They were hiding in the garden with a little bit of covering for themselves because they felt shame. What did God do in the cool of the evening? We know about cool of the evening and this sweltering. We like to take a little constitutional walk when it's gone cool. There in the garden was the Lord walking and Adam and Eve, man and woman, hiding because they felt shame and away from God and rightly so because they'd rebelled against him. But God in his goodness, this is the character of God being revealed. What does he do? He calls out to them. Where are you? 
beckoning, calling, longing that every person should know him, be with him, not be lost, not be hidden away in shame, but call, beckon to know God. Ever since the beginning of creation, God has been calling. Again and again, he utters through the prophets and the wise people his declarations, his truths. It's plain to see he's announced it. Creation's power, its beauty, its complexity, its diversity, its glory, its productivity, its symbiosis. If you've done biology, you know what those words mean. They tell us something of God because they come from God. Another little fact. Do you know there are more human brain cells than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy? And that's a lot. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. No one can say, I didn't know. No one can say, I'm ignorant. Atheism isn't a logical position. Those who haven't seen or fail to recognize what has been made plain have shut their eyes and their minds. They have done it. God has revealed. Some more numbers. These are big numbers. But trying to reinforce this truth. You know, people can be quite daft, I have to say. And we live in a culture that, that kind of mocks Christians for being of a former era, of just believing myth and make-believe, of being out of touch with truth. But let me try and reset some of the balance. Modern theory says people, life, everything, happen completely by chance. Well, a professor of biophysics at Yale in the US, renowned, reputable thinker, researcher, scientist, has calculated, I can't show you the workings, but he's worked out the probability that everything happening that we know of by chance is one to the power of 10, and this is where the big number comes, 340 million noughts. You know, that's a big number. 340 million noughts. The chance, the probability of it all happening by chance. Let me put it in a different way. If you managed to fill the solar system that we live in with people and gave them all a Rubik's Cube, that probability is that all those people in all this solar system, all having a Rubik's Cube, all solving it simultaneously at once. That's the probability. Do you get that? It's pretty, pretty much of a long shot. But look at, look at God's creatures. The guillemot bird. Nice little bird. Lay eggs high up on rocky crags to avoid predators. This is amazing. In order for the 
um, the guillemot female to lay the egg on these little rocky outcrops, she, she has to watch out that the eggs don't roll off or get blown off into the sea, because that would be pointless, wouldn't it? So I don't quite know how this happens, but a guillemot lays her eggs spinning, which hugely increases the chance of survival. Quite, I think that's not the egg, that's the, the, the mother, if you get me. Um, quite apart from wondering about the gymnastics of that process, how on earth did she learn to do it? Unless God, in his manifold wisdom, taught her. See, the, evolution, the, the idea of evolution by chance or even creation by a less than wise God disappears out the window when you just think about the guillemot bird laying one of her eggs. What about the bombardier beetle? Come across the bombardier beetle? Maybe. A bizarre little animal has a very unusual defense mechanism. It has tubes in its tail that store two different chemicals, and these chemicals, when mixed together, cause an explosion. How exciting. It's also got a third substance, which is an inhibitor, which prevents an explosion from taking place until the chemicals enter the chamber in its rear at which point this enzyme is added and the explosion takes place, firing a 212-degree jet of uh, kind of flame out of its backside at its enemies, propelling it, in the meantime, several yards away, like a little jet-propelled beetle, away from danger. How cool is that? If you found one in your garden, you'd be playing all afternoon. <laughs> Poor beetle. Now think of the chance of that happening randomly or unintelligent design, would never have produced a bombardier beetle. Just a trail of attempts, each blown to smithereens. We only have to look, and it's plain to see. God longs to be known. Calvin, a great theologian, said there that there is some Something in us that, it, that is kind of born into us, in all of us, that's deep fixed within, within as, it, as it were, a very marrow, something of God, something of that yearning, something of that longing, something of that, he's there. And Paul is right in this story, this letter, where he says, does that knowledge, does that that glimpse, does that hunch lead you to him? Or does it lead you to suppress the truth? Because there are two options. That being plain, that speech, that sense of it can't just be by chance. That sense that there is something more will either lead you to him or will lead you to suppress the truth by your actions. And he goes on to talk about that in the rest of chapter one. I won't steal Caris's thunder. Augustine, in the fourth century, said, some people read books in order to find God, yet there is a great book, the very appearance of created things. Look above you, look below you, note it, read it. God, whom you wish to find, never wrote that book with ink. Instead, he set before your eyes the things that he had made. 
Can you ask for a louder voice than that? Why heaven and earth cry out to you. God made you. Pope John Paul II said, The visible world is like a map pointing to heaven. We, we learn to see the creator by contemplating the beauty of his creatures. In this world, the goodness, wisdom, and almighty power of God shine forth. Calvin again, although the Lord represents both himself and his everlasting kingdom in the mirror of his works and with great clarity, such is our stupidity that we grow increasingly dull towards so manifest testimonies, and they flow away without profit. Einstein, theory of relativity and special relativity, said that deep emotional conviction of the presence of a superior reasoning power which is revealed in the incomprehensible universe, forms my idea of God. God is knowable. And the gospel said, rather than just having just this vague understanding that God is given to all of us, he sends Jesus Paul, an apostle, sent to the Gentiles, those who didn't know, those in Athens that he went to, and in their worshiping city, there was an altar to the unknown God. And he said, I've come to tell you about this God. You're worshiping so many things. Let me tell you about the true and living God manifest in Jesus Christ. Rather than general revelation, we now live in an era of technically what's called special revelation. God has come amongst us, the word, the revelation, the declaration, the announcement of God made flesh to dwell amongst us. God loves to reveal himself to you. And we can't find out about him by observing the beetles and the birds and the stars and the sky. We can know about him that there's something more, but we can't know him through that. God sent his son, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Paul says each one of us has that, that understanding that there's more. And rather than then turn in on ourselves or get confused by making idols. He calls us to trust in God amongst us, Jesus. He goes on to say, even with this plain knowledge for all of us, how quickly we distort it. How quickly that seeking after the divine, seeking after the more, seeking after that, that spark of life, we so quickly construct God, God's false philosophies, idols, caricatures, so forth. God is revealed, says Paul. It's just worth saying, just so you don't mishear me, that not all of creation declares the glory of God because it's broken and it's fallen. Not all we see in creation is God-ordained, sanctioned and blessed. Yes, there is beauty and creativity. There's power and regeneration glimpses. 
but there's also fallenness and corruption and violence and erosion and disasters and disease and death. This is not God's good creation. But Paul says there are glimpses. We have eyes to see. What we see in that which is good and the, the reflection still of God's good order can lead us to awe and to wonder and direct us away from what is seen, the stuff of this world, the creator, to that which is unseen, the creator. How easily that can happen. but How easily we can distort it. Genesis Sorry, Exodus, the story of God's people. If you know the story, they've been rescued. God's with them manifestly, the pillar of fire by, by night, the pillar of cloud by day. They've heard the voice. They've seen the amazing works of God rescuing them. And Moses goes up the mountain for a few days to receive the commandments and the law. And Aaron and the people of God are down the mountain. They could see all this stuff going on. And the people say, let's make an idol. Let's make a golden calf. They, it always seems to me dim. Why? You've just seen this amazing God rescue you. And you wanted to construct something out of metal to worship and buy down to. Why? But I think it's there to teach us that we so easily do it. We we so easily turn from the unseen, the creator, that which we find difficult to apprehend and think it's much easier if we make it in our image or the image of a beast or an idol. Easier to relate to. But so, so wrong. So, so wrong. Paul in Romans is making this firm point. In the creation, in this revelation of God, he wants to be known. That we're guilty of failing to honor God. Yes, for the wise amongst us, we see Jesus and turn to him. Hallelujah. But oh, too often we, we don't. And Paul writes to say that if we choose to turn our backs, to ignore, to tune out, to fail to follow where the signs lead to Jesus, then we stand in the place of judgment. We stand in the place where God's wrath is poured out, where we fail and we miss the righteousness of God. A chance to be declared forgiven, to receive new life. And we remain in the place of judgment and death. I pray that you'd hear the signs. Be reminded to turn your eyes to Jesus. Trust in him. It's plain to see. Since what may be known about God is plain to us. Because God has made it plain to us, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that you and I are without excuse. 
But just before that, and I'll finish with this. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's stand together.